Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. And right out of the gate, we have some breaking news. Former President Donald Trump's Trump organization, the family business, has just been convicted of multiple counts of ta- of criminal tax fraud uh, uh, after in after a jury found them guilty of engaging in an off-the-books compensation scheme to pay executives in car leases, apartments, and cash. So uh, this is actually tying into another bigger story that is taking uh, as, as, that's coming along to developing today. Uh, you just heard it in in the Fox News segment a few minutes ago. The January 6th committee is uh, now moving ahead with criminal referrals against Donald Trump. Well, they didn't say who the criminal referrals are against, but we know that Donald Trump is in the crosshairs of the January 6th committee and in the crosshairs of the Department of Justice. Chairman Benny Thompson of the January 6th committee told reporters that referrals were on the way and would be submitted as separate uh, documents from the committee's report. He didn't announce who the criminal referrals will target, but at, like I said, Donald Trump is in the crosshairs here. He's in multiple crosshairs, the DOJ, the January 6th committee, the, the New York attorney general's office. Uh, there is a lot going on with uh, Donald Trump and his legal problems right now. Uh, the, uh, this comes, again, the same day, uh, just a little while ago. The DOJ special counsel uh, is subpoenaing officials from several states asking for communications with or involving former President Donald Trump campaign aides and allies involved in his efforts to try to overturn the 2020 election. So whether or not you believe that Donald Trump attempted to overturn the 2020 election, the fact of the matter is criminal referrals from the January 6th committee are coming And the Department of Justice has a special counsel now that is looking to issue subpoenas to officials that were part of Trump's team or uh, various state officials that were taking part in the separate electors, all that sort of stuff. So that is the big breaking news. A lot of legal trouble for Donald Trump coming down the way. And remember, several months ago, when Donald Trump was saying uh, he was, you know, people around him were talking about how he was going to announce that he's running for president before the midterms and everything. The RNC threatened that if he declared that he was running for president, they would be cutting off money to uh, help support his legal battles. We don't know yet if they've done that, but he has declared his candidacy. I don't know that the RNC can pay those legal fees if he's a candidate for the Republican Party for president. We'll see on that, but that was a huge help to Donald Trump. He's also got a lot of money that his political action committee has been sitting on. Don't know if that money will ultimately end up going to these legal fights as well. But there is a lot at play here for Donald Trump and the various legal fights that he and his organizations are under right now. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. You can also send a message through the KPEL app chat. Now, there's a lot to get to today. Let's start with the... Big news of the day, which is the 2022 midterm election will be over as of tonight. Thank God, because this election season has been far too long and we all really need a break. Herschel Walker uh, 
Well, Raphael Warnock outraised Herschel Walker two to one. Walker has not been a great candidate. He did not have a whole lot of money. A lot of super PACs have had to dump a lot of money to get as much airtime for Walker as possible. Warnock, whether you like him or not, is a very good campaigner, has had a very good team, particularly a very good digital team. Got a lot of digital ads out there in spaces that Republicans normally don't compete very much or very effectively, and that's on like streaming platforms, things like that. For example, two years ago when he was running, Warnock's campaign was so precise in his digital spending, you could be watching... Uh, you could three people living in the same neighborhood could be watching something streaming on Hulu and all three receive a different ad based on their demographics. That's how precise their digital targeting campaign was. He has a very solid, effective campaign team. Herschel Walker has a path to victory, and that's just based on the fact that there are more Republicans who vote in Georgia than not. Uh, if you look at all of the state Senate elections, somebody pointed this out to me earlier today. If you look at all the state Senate elections that just occurred a month ago, you tally up all the voters who were in all of those races. Republicans actually outvoted the Democrats 52, 53% to 40-something uh, percent for the Democrats. There were more Republicans who voted in November than Democrats. The problem is that when you look at the numbers between, say, Brian Kemp and Herschel Walker, there's about a 200,000 vote difference between the two. 200,000 fewer Republicans voted for Walker than voted for Kemp. On the flip side of that, Walker was only down about 45,000 to Warnock. So it's a matter of getting motivated voters out there. This is where the Republican Party and, and really conservatives have to, there has to be a, a, a paradigm shift in conservatives thinking. You and I can both agree that extended voting, early voting, absentee voting, it's grown too big. This is not how the system was intended to be. In fact, the founders, I mentioned it yesterday, the founders specifically created an election day to avoid roving gangs of voters, things like that, who could fundamentally disrupt the election by creating election fraud. But states like Florida and Georgia and others have taken the early voting and absentee voting rules, have amended them to where they tighten up on election security but still allow these sorts of things, and it's actually benefited those states and has benefited Republicans in those states, not because of voter suppression, like some people will, will scream, but because they've actually tightened up on election rules and made them more secure. But base voter conservatives, base voter Republicans are still very hesitant on it. And that's one thing that's actually hurt Herschel Walker in Georgia. And it's something that Republicans definitely need to look at going forward. You can sit here and scream and shout about early voting and be opposed to it and, and decide you're not going to take part in that foolishness. You're only going to go on Election Day. But the more people that do that, the fewer Republicans go out and vote at all. In Georgia today, for example, it is icy. It is cold. In some places, it's rainy. 
that can hurt voter turnout. But it wasn't icy and cold and rainy during the early voting period in Georgia. Had more Republicans been motivated to go out and early vote, the disparity between Democrats and Republicans in the early voting numbers wouldn't be as big as it turned out being. This is where Republicans need to have this mental paradigm shift. Yes, you can dislike the early voting, absentee voting system, all the different systems, whatever, whatever changes to the electoral system that have been made over the years, you can oppose those. But as of right now, strategically, conservative voters need to take advantage of all of those voter opportunities to maximize the early vote turnout. They need to do that so they can win and they can rewrite the rules if they want to. I think the genie is out of the bottle in early and absentee voting. But if Republicans win and they get the support, they can go in and change those rules. Like Georgia and Florida did, they can keep a lot of those things but change the rules to secure the elections. But right now, conservatives need to get over this early voting hesitation and they need to go all in on using the tools that are available to go in and win elections. That's ultimately what I think is going to cost Herschel Walker in today's campaign. Now, either this is going to be a blowout in Raphael Warnock's favor, or it's going to be a very narrow win for Herschel Walker. I think the former is more likely than the latter. Republicans in general, based on what I've heard, the whispers I've heard behind the scenes, the analysts I've heard on TV, everybody, everybody's expecting that this is Raphael Warnock's. The numbers from early voting, the numbers on election day just don't seem to be there for Republicans. But... It's not a guarantee. Like I said, there is a path to victory for the Republican. Anyway, that's your breakdown of the Georgia election. When we come back, we've got a couple of news stories. Uh, At the bottom of the hour, my friend Liz Mayer will call in. We've talked to her before. She's going to call in. We're going to talk about uh, the JCPA, which is this Obamacare for the press. I've kind of talked about it before. We're going to talk about that uh, later on the show. We're going to take this break. We'll be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. So one of the reasons why Republicans really need to start taking advantage of early voting is something I've I've talked about a bit before. And if you recall this explanation, I'm sorry, just bear with me. For those who haven't heard this before, Georgia has been inundated with political ads. I think there was a report out that said WSB-TV, which I think... I'm not 100% on this, but I think it's the most watched ABC affiliate in the country. Gigantic market. Um, and I, there's a report that says they have made more on, uh, they've made more from political ads this year than at any other point in history. Just an insane amount of money has been poured into Georgia media markets to run ads. In political ads... In the general election, you run ads that build up your own candidate. You want to get everybody out to vote for your guy or girl. In the runoff, the ads turn distinctly more negative. There are some negative ads before the general, 
and some positive ads before the runoff. But in general, the positive stuff comes during the general because you're motivating everybody to turn out for the first one. And you run all the negative stuff, not to get people to come vote for your person, but to essentially just suppress the vote. We don't like to say voter suppression, but that's essentially what it is. You just try to depress everybody to the point where I can't go vote for this guy. You try to get their side to stay home. Voters are less likely to stay home if they've already voted. What do I mean by that? The more you get inundated with these negative ads, the more likely you are to stay home on election day. But if you go out weeks ahead of time and vote early, you are less likely to be too depressed to go out and vote. So if you take advantage of early voting and more Republicans do so and Republicans get the word, hey, we got to get out and early vote. Hey, we've got to get out and support our guy or girl. The more they do that, the less effective those negative ads become. And you can start to you can start to to whittle away at the power of the political ads. Now, there will come a moment. A guy who's in radio in, in Georgia uh, was saying this very happily today. He cannot wait for the erectile dysfunction ads to come back. He's tired of all the political ads that have just inundated the airwaves. And he's absolutely right. The political ads are just hammering Georgia. They're hammering us, too. We've, we've got political ads here, too. But they are just hammering voters right now. And the point... The point that voters have gotten to is they're just too tired of it. They don't want to go vote. Republicans in particular are very, very unmotivated right now. You have the lieutenant governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, who has gone out and said in interviews that Herschel Walker is the worst candidate the Republicans have ever put forward. I'm not sure that's the case, but regardless, that doesn't help. Um, you have Republicans who have gone out and said, uh, Donald Trump actually was doing it, uh, recently talking about early voting is stealing the election and that keeps conservatives from going out. And when conservatives feel that the election is stolen because early, all this early voting is happening, everything like that, they stay home. That's what happened in 2020. That's how Herschel Walker, I mean, uh, Raphael Warnock got into office in the first place. You had Tens of thousands of Republicans who just stayed home in 2020, particularly in the rural conservative parts of Georgia. They stayed home, which allowed John Ossoff and Herschel Warnock, uh, Raphael Warnock, to win those Senate seats in Georgia. And now you're looking at a similar thing again. A lot of Republicans just are not motivated to go out and you're probably going to see this seat drift to Raphael Warnock or stay with Raphael Warnock. And he'll have that seat now for six years rather than two. Because two years ago was a special election for Warnock's seat. Now it's the full election. And he's going to have it for six years. And it's because Republicans have not taken advantage of the tools that are available. Early voting, absentee voting, etc. Here in Louisiana, for the first time in the state's history that anybody can find, 
in early voting leading up to the November election, more Republicans voted than Democrats. And there were higher numbers, uh, more Republicans voted in early voting than Democrats. First time ever. Republicans need to keep doing that, not just here, but all over. Republicans need to take advantage of that. If they can do that, a lot of these races will turn in Republicans' favor. But we don't have a lot of faith among conservatives. We don't have a lot of faith in the early voting system and the absentee voting system. And as a result, it limits the number of people who will go out and vote in the total. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, my friend Liz Mayer joins us to talk about the JCPA, the Journalism Conservation and Preservation Act. It's a bad idea. We'll talk about why when we get back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Good afternoon, Lafayette. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show. This is Joe Cunningham here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in, be part of the conversation. You can also send a message to the KPL app chat, but I want to shift gears real quick. I've got my friend Liz Mayer on the line. Liz, we have this Journalism Con- Competition Preservation Act, which sounds like a really good thing if you're like me and in the journalism business, but it's actually something that seems pretty problematic when you look at it, right? Correct. Yes. And thanks for having me on. Um, yes. And, and I'm glad that you've been focusing on this specifically because uh, this bill, the way that it is drafted, the specific problem that it's going to create is that it's going to disadvantage conservative media sites and conservative media uh, organizations as against what we would call mainstream, but which many mm-hmm. conservatives feel are inherently left-leaning uh, in their bias, yeah. and frankly, some explicitly left-of-center uh, sites that do a good job of doing their coverage uh, in a reporting style mm-hmm. and not technically infusing a lot of opinion, but approaching everything in the first place from such a left-leaning lens that they really are essentially echoing Democratic Party talking points uh, the whole time. Um, and the problem really is when you look at this JCPA, as nice as it sounds, um, you know, in terms of allowing media to potentially get better ad rates from big platforms, Um, The way that it's done is in such a way that the mainstream media and the left of center media are going to be in a position to take advantage of it, but conservative media really isn't. Um, And it's basically specifically because of the way that defined terms are used within the legislation. So uh, Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, called this uh, Obamacare but for the press. How exactly – How exactly does it fall into that category? Well, I mean, I think the first and most obvious thing is that it's really big government meddling, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's proposing a big government solution to a problem that, frankly, probably could be rectified just by, you know, sort of having market forces prevailing. Um, You know, I think in addition, I mean, it it is putting a thumb on the scales in favor of particular interests over other interests. There are going to be elements of cronyism that you will see. Now, if the JCPA that ends up um, being attached to this defense bill, that's the must-pass defense bill that we do every year, Mm -hmm. if that contains an amendment that Ted Cruz pushed earlier this year, it won't be quite as bad because that amendment essentially uh, forces 
any sort of platforms that are offering advertising to news media to not do anything that involves content moderation, right? This yeah. is some, this is what conservatives are very upset about. And I think you know this very well writing for Red State. There are a lot of conservative media uh, organizations out there that when they go to promote a post on Facebook, for example, they have been finding that they get pushback from the platform Mm -hmm. about what's actually contained in the post. And so they have to do some alterations in order to even get it up on the platform. Right. If Ted Cruz's amendment um, does apply here, then what we're looking at being attached to this must pass legislation and basically rammed through in the dead of night with very little scrutiny won't be as bad, but you still have the underlying problem that, it is still government meddling um, in, in, a, in a sort of contractual private party uh, contract situation, which a lot of conservatives are just inherently going to find to be anti-free market principles. Yeah. And on top of it, you still have the procedural argument that conservatives, generally speaking, really don't like attaching everything to this annual defense authorization bill as if it were a proverbial Christmas tree, right? Right. The stuff that belongs on the Christmas tree is fine. You know, you've got a little tinsel, you've got some cute ornaments, you've got some balls, you've got some stars, that kind of thing. But when somebody comes and sticks their cat's butt in the middle of the Christmas tree, it's not really germane to the subject matter at hand, right? And, uh, you know, not to be totally crude about it, but the JCPA, particularly if what is attached is not inclusive of this cruise amendment, looks a lot like my cat's butt sitting in this Christmas tree farting at everybody. And frankly, I just don't think that that's what conservatives are looking for. So, you know, it it raises the question of why Mitch McConnell has cut a deal with Chuck Schumer to include this and to add it onto this legislation. It it seems very, very odd for McConnell to, to be in on this, unless there's just some other strategy here that I'm not seeing. But you're, you're looking at, like you said, I mean, this this does tend to benefit if you just look at the language. It, it does benefit left leaning outlets more than conservative. It actually would punish conservative outlets. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the biggest red flag here is that when the JCPA was on its own and Ted Cruz got his amendment into it, Amy Klobuchar, who's sponsoring the bill, pulled her, pulled it immediately. I think that's a huge. That's start. right. That's right. And that and that is that is the question mark about what's going on here. In addition to the fact that I think McConnell hasn't been very transparent about what he thinks he's getting in exchange for doing this. Right. Um, You know, so because she pulled the bill, she will presumably have had to reintroduce it in order to be to be attached to this NDAA bill, this defense Mm -hmm. authorization bill. Now, presumably, whatever she's reintroducing, she's not put Ted Cruz's language on because she's Amy Klobuchar, right? right? And that language was hard fought for by Ted Cruz, and it was accepted by John Kennedy, who I'm sure pays attention to what's being said on this program and probably is a fan. Um, You know, and that's something that they really went uh, hard to try to ensure was included in this legislation to try to deal with some of these content moderation concerns. And the procedural mechanisms that Klobuchar has gone through in order to pull the bill and then now uh, going to try to get that reattached uh, to this defense authorization bill, I mean, I think there's a very good chance that we don't see that cruise language attached. Even if we do see the cruise language attached, though, 
again, there hasn't been a great deal of scrutiny here. We mm-hmm. did have that come up in one hearing. It was the focal point of the hearing. Um, there wasn't a whole lot else in terms of objections, uh, which are plentiful, that exist to this legislation existing. And I think one of the ones that's actually interesting that has been made from the left, but probably has some resonance with uh, some folks on the right at this point, is if you look at who's been going around and buying up local media, You actually have some fairly major corporate conglomerates that have been doing that. And so one of the points that's been made from the left in opposition to this bill is, hang on, you're giving big corporations an advantage in their negotiation. So essentially, we're just shifting around which particular big corporations we're putting the thumb on the scales in favor of. That's not actually helping independent media. That's not helping local media that doesn't want to be under big corporate control. And it's certainly not helping, you know, voices online like yours, many other people um, who, you know, are going to write something that can be a very well-reported article, but perhaps they've got a sentence at the end that expresses opinion. Therefore, it falls in the opinion, not the news reported category. Therefore, the provisions of this act simply would not apply. Yeah. I, th- I think you know another thing. A story that uh, just came out, uh, I think today, is that Facebook is now threatening to pull news entirely from their platform if if the JCPA passes. Uh, my colleague at Red State, Mike Miller, has basically written that this seems like an empty threat from Facebook. But at the same time, that also makes you wonder what's Facebook's ultimate end goal in all this too, because they are one of these these big tech companies that benefits from the government getting involved in these issues. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's hard to say what Facebook will do, but they clearly do see a problem with this bill. Um, And I suspect that they might see this problem, whether or not that Ted Cruz language was in there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, certainly from a conservative standpoint, you know, setting aside the fact that people who consume conservative media and prefer to do that through social media – um, might find that to be a little trickier if this thing passes and Facebook follows through on their threats. You know, I think the underlying point remains that one of the top concerns that you see amongst conservative activists at the moment is this issue of content moderation and there being these sort of mechanisms by which more sort of left-of-center entities out there can kind of force people to write in a certain way and to take a particular opinion, right? And this legislation, absent that Cruz amendment, isn't going to do anything about that. Um, And frankly, it's probably going to make the situation significantly worse because it would presumably lead to the likes of you know, let's say Huffington Post. I have no particular problem with them. Oftentimes talk to the people over there, pitch them things occasionally. But, you know, HuffPost basically got rid of its opinion section years ago. Mm-hmm. You can't just go and post an op-ed there. Pretty much everything they do is under the guise of news. Yeah. Yet they would be treated more favorably than a red state would for the purposes of advertising pricing negotiations under this bill. And I think you just have to stop and ask yourself if you're a conservative how is this an improvement? And I think that ultimately, this is why you've seen a lot of conservative senators coming off the bill. Mm -hmm. The Cruz Amendment is good, but, you know, ultimately, you don't have a lot of staunch conservatives who've ever considered getting on this thing. The people who seem to be pushing it, no offense to them, but the people who seem to be pushing it are basically like Susan Collins and Lindsey Graham. Mm -hmm. I just wonder, you know, like, I mean, Mitch McConnell wants to insulate people, sure, understand that, but 
is that the best we can do here? Is that what the trade is? Because the bill itself just seems pretty weak, not very well vetted, being rushed through at the last minute. And frankly, it doesn't even look like the main provision conservatives want to make it better is going to make it into this thing. And I kind of going back to Amy Klobuchar a sec, because she's been pushing for this for a while. A lot of conservatives, like you said, are they, they've been yeah. talking about this, this Section 230 and all this, this this online content moderation stuff. She's had these pushes before, and it, it mm-hmm. seems to have evolved into this. But at the same time, if you're looking at Democrats, liberal Democrats who are pushing these rules and claiming it's going to benefit everybody, but at the same time, there's a clear agenda there. Again, it, it kind of begs the question, why would Mitch McConnell, why would some of these other Republicans jump on so quickly? Well, I think that, you know, I think there's also a political question here. You know, I don't want to take everything in the direction of talking about 2024 presidential politics. But as somebody who spends quite a lot of time discussing that with folks like you offline, I do think that it's notable that despite the fact that Democrats did pull off some pretty surprisingly good results in 2022, and so now supposedly that makes it more tenable that Biden and Harris will run for re-election, I still think most people looking at the situation think it's pretty untenable that Joe Biden really is going to run for re-election in 2024. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the political prognosticators that I talk to who have technically had the best uh, track record when it comes to predicting outcomes – those people are still pretty bullish on Amy Klobuchar as a potential Democratic candidate. You know, she in the 2020 contest, she performed a lot better than most people were expecting her to. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing that I sort of wonder about is if you're Mitch McConnell, why do you want to be teeing up victories for somebody that your party could potentially be running against in a couple of years and who already doesn't look like the craziest Democrat out there and the one that's going to be the easiest to tar, you know? So I think there are a lot of questions here. Look, you know, I think there are things that Amy Klobuchar has sponsored that are perfectly fine pieces of legislation. I just think, you know, at the end of the day, when you read through this one and you look at the definitions, it is really unsound. It is impossible, in my opinion, that it will not lead to anti-conservative bias. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, I think when you listen to some of the criticisms from the left, as much as I don't generally tend to agree with those guys, I think they're right when they say you just might be trading one big sort of cronyist, big corporate interest benefiting them for for another one. And I I just I don't really know if that's the proper function of government, I guess, at the end of the day. I I think you're absolutely right on that. I I don't I, I likewise don't think. That's the proper role of government. I, I as the one of the reasons I'm conservative is I want less government involved in my life, and that includes my online yeah. life. And, and at the end of the day, if it's going to be involved, you know, we can all we can all make a decision to get behind that. But doing it by attaching a supposed journalism promotion bill to a defense authorization bill that has to pass before the end of the year when we're sitting here on what are we on December sixth? Yeah. That is not a particularly transparent way of doing it. And whenever they do things like this in Congress, it automatically leads a lot of people, I think, rightfully to be suspicious that there are going to be problematic details in here that we're not going to find out about until maybe 18 months down the line. You know, this was I think this goes back to Mike Lee's criticism about Obamacare for the press. What was the thing that Nancy Pelosi always said about Obamacare? You have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. Yeah. Well, right now, I mean, we don't we don't even know really what JCPA we're dealing with, right? Yeah. So we're in exactly that situation. And if they want to do this, if it's a well thought out idea, 
that's fine. But, you know, the composition of Congress hasn't changed dramatically from where it has been for the last two years. And, and I think they can take it up in the next Congress, I think, if that's if that's what we're interested in debating. All right, Liz, thank you very much for joining me. Liz Mayer joining us talking about the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. Thanks very much. All right, we're going to take a break. We will be back in just a few minutes to wrap up here on the Joe Cunningham Show, 232-1542, if you want to call in or send a message through the KPL app chat. We will be back shortly. Minutes left if you want to hop in. But, you know, Mark and I were talking during the break, and uh, one of the things that's kind of slipped out very quietly is that the IRS is following through the rule that the White House says they weren't actually pursuing in the first place. The IRS is going to uh, demand that Americans report payments on Venmo, PayPal, other sources like that, that are over $600. That's now going to be taxable income. Meanwhile, just as an aside, the Defense Department has failed its fifth audit, unable to account for more than 61% of its assets worth about $1.8 billion. So please tell me more about how Americans aren't paying their fair share and managing their money properly when the Defense Department cannot account for almost $2 trillion. Anyway, this is part of the government trying to seize more money, and, and this time out of the gig economy. If you do gig work, if you are an independent contractor, uh, you are not a full-time employee, but you have a contract with somebody, you do work, they give you payment, but it's not a full-on employment thing, there's no benefits, anything like that, the government has been moving very uh, sometimes very loudly, like in the case of California, sometimes a little more quietly. The uh, the uh, House Democrats have been trying to get a, a bill passed that would kind of do similar stuff to to really tax gig economy workers a lot more. This would negatively impact Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, uh, independent contractors of all sort. Technically, I'm an independent contractor with Red State. I'm not on staff. I don't get a full time salary. I don't get benefits, anything like that. I'm an independent contractor with Red State. Up until I started working here full-time, I was an independent contractor with KPEL for the show. If what they were asking to do had gone through, I would have to pay a ton more in taxes than I was already going to have to pay because independent contractors have to pay everything on the back end of the year because they don't have the, the taxes aren't taken out because they're not employees. They're contractors. And the government is trying, the federal government is trying to take more and more of that, which really hurts these gig economy workers. And you need to be paying attention to that going forward. All right, that's it for the show. 23 hours until I'm back. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And, of course, sign up for the show notes, JoeCunninghamShow.Substack.com. Shannon is off sides next. Let's go Bulldogs and soccer and basketball tonight. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.